0: Well, that's it for episode 144 of Total Party Thrill. I hope you look... 177. I can't read. <laughs> well, that's it for episode 177 of Total Party Thrill. for from the Mundangerous Hidden Lair in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 177 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're joining the
1: dark side as we discuss evil parties. But first the rogue traders meet an old friend in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later the blighter twists nature for its own ends in the character creation forge. So Total Party Thrills brought to you by Elderwood Academy. They are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice
0: boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. All of their products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codexes, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. You know, Shane,
1: you make a good point about products crafted to look like things. And also, I make a great
0: point about dice towers, don't I? You do. You make a great point. And uh, speaking of dice towers and items crafted to look like things... Did you know that they have Codex Dice Towerization? Hold on. Um, so it looks like a Codex? It looks, yeah, like a, like a scroll case that would hold a Codex. Um, it can actually fit one of their scroll rolling trays inside it, so you don't have to roll on the table and scratch it up and upset your mother. Scroll um, rollers. Or me, as it were. I mean, you you often, I think of you as my mother mm-hmm. sometimes.
1: I'm a bit henpecked here uh-huh. on the show. Yep, that's it. <laughs> um, can, I, can I have a few dollars? I need to buy some uh, dice
0: towers. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you turn it vertically, it actually turns into a dice tower that you can use to then drop your die in, bounce it around, and roll it on the table. Wait, so explain for people who don't know a dice tower. This is, it's got a hole in the top and a hole in the bottom, right? Yep. And uh, stuff in between that moves the dice around so that it's it's random and it takes the place of, you know, having to like shake your hand back and forth and drop it on the table and scatter your dice all over the place, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, so it's a great gift for the cheaters in your group. Uh, it's the perfect gift for the cheaters <laughs> in your group, yeah. <laughs> We've all got one or two, uh-huh. at least. <laughs> Uh, Like most of their products, you can customize the uh, icons and logos that appear on it, uh, the color of the leather. You can also choose the engraving and embossing on the caps, which are made of wood. Um, And you can actually choose the wood as well. So
1: you can find the Codex Dice Tower and many more products at elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split. And maybe a gift that's actually free. Shane, um, I guess there are still more Tales from Moxfairy.
0: Are you in these? Are you in these? Uh they are finally finished. Uh we we ended up with a full like four or five episode run. But yeah, my um my debut on Tales from Moxfairy has now come to its end. Uh my character of Whispers uh, will be retired for some time. Possibly be to, to be renewed if uh you know the ratings are high enough. So if
1: listeners go listen to Tales from Moxfairy. Mm, that would be one way to do it. Um, I don't know how I feel about this whole kitty cat wizard thing. I feel like it's crossing the streams. Kitty cat wizard familiar. Who gets into hijinks?
0: Hijinks, yeah.
1: Okay, all right. Uh, so does does whispers have uh, an end to his arc in the story? Um, in this story,
0: yeah, yeah, he has. He has like sort of a mini arc, yeah.
1: Well, that's adorable. Hmm. Okay, but the door's still left open. Oh yeah, no, he could come back. All right, all right. Well, speaking of unresolved conflict shane where are we in the dynasty unwarranted campaign
0: so the dynasty unwarranted campaign is our warhammer 40k rogue trader game played using dark heresy second edition rules by fantasy flight games and after weeks of warp travel and recovery the rogue traders have just set foot for the first time on the hopeful site of their newest colony the frontier city of Meridian on the Death World Iblis Prime.
1: Oh, it's nice. You just come right out and call it the Death World, huh? Well, you've insisted that it's a Death World,
0: so I'm not going to correct you. <laughs> you didn't mention it was a Death World before we went there. Well, it didn't have a classification <laughs> at that time. This is this re, this retelling is after you know all of the events have uh, resolved, and you know the Imperial uh, cartographers were able to properly classify it.
1: You're right. In Star Trek terms, it was simply a Class M planet. And then we showed up, uh, scanned the surface, and realized, oh, everything here is made to kill people. True. Wonderful. All right, well, we own it, so we may as well, I guess, tame it in some sort of weird manifest destiny kind of way. It's really funny that you think you own it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have an investment in it. How about that? <laughs> you, you intend to own it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there I... are people here, okay, but uh, we brought a flag right (laughs) (laughs) I guess heraldry right (laughs) Uh, you
0: are to your knowledge the first imperials there oh well then we're the real owners right So, uh, yeah, so you land the hostile negotiator at a landing pad on the outskirts of the city uh, at dusk, and you are greeted by the group that you expected, uh, led by a shadowed man cutting a dashing figure in a leather duster. He's got a fedora tipped low over his eyes. He's taking drags on a low stick in the shadows. He seems so cool. So these are... Your partner Roth, uh, Lord Captain Duhan Roth, they are his men uh, oh. that he has dispatched here, and I hate that them. you were expecting to meet up with. Great. Why do they look so cool? We are the cool ones here. That's how this is supposed to work. Only one of them actually looks cool. The rest oh, look okay. like uh, you know guys who've been, <laughs> or you know, guys and girls who've been on this planet for uh, for a few months. Okay, they look like P- NPCs with no names. Yeah, this exactly. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, but so as as is normal custom astropath uh, flares attendant begins his formal introduction you know the hail ventia magnus of navis nobilis house magnus the lion of the warp and so on and so forth and then he's interrupted by the shadowed man just laughing uh, like mocking derisive laughter uh, and he steps forward out of the shadows with an ornately hilted pistol on his hip and a thousand yard stare and you see that this is felipe
1: that is Flair's previously obsequious attendant, who was, well, we didn't quite jettison him from an airlock. I think we marooned him with one shot in a Laz pistol on a deserted planet
0: for betraying us to the Serenas. He is clearly um, no longer marooned, has somehow fallen into the employment of Roth and is no longer that sweet, bright-eyed boy he was way back then.
1: That's usually what happens after you spend a
0: few years with Flair. so yeah so flair is not happy about this um they exchange barbs back and forth sort of uh the bitterness of former master and servant bleeding and just it's rough and it's real rough for flair because felipe catches on that he still refers to all of his attendants as felipe oof because uh, flair doesn't want to learn their names and and can't quite let go. I can't quite let go, yeah. <laughs> and and Felipe is just able to just twist the knife, you know?
1: All right, so pettiness aside, Felipe briefs the party. Uh, he and a contingent of Roth's men have been on uh, this planet for about two months, setting up a beachhead. They've mainly kept a low profile, though, and they've been awaiting further instruction. Mm-hmm so they've got a hab block where they're living Uh, they've been registered as a commercial concern with the peacemakers who are uh, one of the dominant power groups on the planet and they've got a small office uh, that they've
0: been working out of and getting the lay of the land here in Meridian so first things first uh, Trank and Flare secure their new lodgings Um, this is the first time you've had to do that without your old pal Draco who's dead um (laughs) And the others set up a war room uh, to plot their next moves. And Felipe has a lead for you on a lucrative mineral vein deep in the gilded canopy.
1: Yeah, it's based on a rumor from the survivors of a failed expedition. And of course, we don't care about that. I mean, if, if I guess if they're survivors, that means, you know, there's a story to tell, but I don't think they're going back out there. So great. Um, dibs, I guess. Oh, we're <laughs> seeing our dollar signs or crowns or whatever they are. Eagles thrones yeah thrones i love thrones (laughs) it's all profit factor from here (laughs) and we'll find out exactly how much we all make next week so this week uh we are talking about playing evil parties um this is something that uh people do play in rpgs but maybe without necessarily meaning to do it (laughs) So we're going to sort of talk about how to how to uh, plan to do it and then execute. Also, there might be executions. Yeah. Yeah. So what is an evil party? Uh, it's sort of the opposite of how I guess most role playing games are supposed to pan out. Right. Like most games are about a group of heroes who are going to save the world or they're solving a problem or they're like going out and helping people. Um But, you know, what if you want to play a game where everyone is uh, just sort of giving into their vices and being a huge jerk? Sweet. Evil party. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) And like everyone, right? Not just that one person.
0: Right. You know who you are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's always evil in the party, Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you're listening. So, yeah, I think there's two kinds of evil parties, though, right? Like one of them is the party comprised of evil people. Who are all unbound by any moral quandaries and just get to murder hobo through life. Um, and then there's the evil party that is just a party of people pursuing an evil objective. So they're not murder hobos, but their their goal is to pillage or spread corruption or like you know uh, worship evil deities or complete some ritual or, or something that's generally considered to be bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, the latter takes a lot more effort, especially on the part of the GM, right? Like, the first one is just make it so there aren't really that many consequences. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, uh, like a, a typical, um, like computer RPG. Hey, I met you and I'm going to break into your house. I'm going to go through your stuff. And I'm going to take it and that's fine, right? Because <laughs> there's no script telling you that you should do anything about it.
0: Yeah. There's also no progress to be made there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the second one is, uh,
1: much more difficult there are a fair number of challenges and i think part of that is because you know when designers put together rpgs they're not really written for the usually from the perspective of players who want to be evil and like don't want to be dashing heroes
0: yeah and i think there's also like a lot of times when you say we're going to do an evil campaign um players bring some baggage to the table themselves right like they treat it as like evil means we're free to do whatever we want uh, which isn't necessarily constructive when you're trying to organize your game
1: yeah you get this tension between players who might think that you know nothing has consequences and it doesn't really matter and like we're we're not playing an evil campaign we're playing like a chaotic campaign you know which is kind of a different kind of thing Um, it can be hard to sort of corral everyone and, and say all right yeah, you're evil, but uh, you're working together because you're still a party and you actually have objectives that you want to see
0: fulfilled. Right. And and you might be evil, but you're not like – or you might even be chaotic evil, but you're not like chaotic evil stupid. Like you don't just go around um, or you shouldn't just go around, you know, inciting random acts of violence and just all of this antisocial behavior and, uh, you know, all of the things that make you a huge liability to any person who cares about living to see the next sunrise – uh, you don't want that person around, right? Yeah, you're not temple of elemental evil cultists or
1: anything, right? Like, aha, <laughs> uh-huh, what is your goal? Oh, it's to bring about evil fire and it will destroy the entire world, including me and my flesh shall be scored from my bones because I love that for some reason. I mean, I'm actually
0: okay with that. You know, like, at least you've got a framework with with which to work together around.
1: <laughs> okay, all right. If you're like, that's the end goal, and in the meantime, you know, We'll use some subterfuge. Fine. If it's yeah, today, immolation
0: yeah, <laughs> today, I'm just going to burn down an orphanage because I'm evil. <laughs> cackle, cackle, cackle.
1: I it mean, sounds a little fun like every I mean, once in a once, while, right? It's yeah. a reward.
0: It's a reward. right. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't indulge too much. Uh, I think another big challenge you can run into with evil parties and evil campaigns is backstabbing. Mm. Um, a lot of times the PVP element is part of the appeal of an evil party. Um, The idea that like, we don't have to be the good guys who always work together. We can be the bad guys who kind of fall apart under pressure. Um, But that can be very difficult as a GM to one predict when that's going to happen. Or if it happens too often, like get any type of momentum in the story moving forward. If everybody is too busy, like hamstringing each other and pushing each other off of cliffs
1: Right, every three weeks uh, we've got to introduce a new character because, like, someone keeps dying. Uh, it also, like, breaks verisimilitude for me, honestly. Like, you know, every time there's, a like, a fictional evil, so like, quote-unquote, evil society, it's always like, how did the drow get anything done ever? You know, because they're always just, like, stabbing each other for no reason just because, like, they can and, like, treachery you know, iconic and Lolf loves that. In mm-hmm. a party, too, it's just sort of like it doesn't make sense to me that we would actually be able to accomplish anything
0: unless there is some sort of like greater goal binding us together right and so putting these together I think you touched on it right like bringing them into a cohesive nar- narrative is really difficult if the characters come in without that greater purpose you know if they're here to I'm evil and be evil uh, you've really painted yourself in a corner as to what type of narrative you can you can really explore. Uh, except for I guess like I'm evil and I'll become good which is just a good campaign Mm -hmm. and we'll talk a bit more later about like exactly how to build
1: a purpose that people can actually get behind while still feeling like they can be bad guys alright so what are some of the approaches that you can take in order to sort of get everybody on the same page um, and, and keep the story moving while still feeling like you know you're being edgy
0: so I think even before you start um so often session zero is the crux of these things, but I think it's important even before session zero, like plan your campaign small until you're sure your players can handle it. Like, you know, that, like I said, it's, it's a loaded term. Um, and it doesn't matter like what safeguards you put in place in session zero. Like some players are just going to give in to those terrible impulses. Uh, make sure that your group can actually handle an evil campaign before you get too invested down that path
1: yeah it's definitely one of those things where if you suggest it most people will say yeah actually that sounds really cool haven't done one of those in a while or, or ever um, I definitely like, am interested in trying it sort of like stretch those role playing chops a bit maybe play against type uh, but then once you actually do it I think there are a fair number of people who would say you know this was fun for like six sessions but I don't think I want to do this for like four
0: years so maybe we could end it right soon and that's on like you know the the upper half of outcomes of campaigns right (laughs) that's that's assuming you avoid that bottom 50 percent that just end up devolving into backstabbing and murder hoboing and i I mean frankly a lot of the stuff that good campaigns devolve into too just you know somehow even less bound
1: all right so you're not going to jump into this thing um sight unseen you're you're not going to say all right we're going to do this for the next few years uh, without necessarily knowing if people are, you know, actually into that. Um, but so how do you do this session zero then? Uh, what is it that you need to talk about and what do you need to have wrapped up and decided as a group before you actually say, okay, we're going to embark on an evil campaign.
0: So I think the, the two things you want to do here are, um, get everybody aligned on like your campaign pitch and then also discuss the limits of what evil means in your game. Um, upfront so that people kind of understand how evil is evil and what does that mean in terms of gameplay rules so like from a campaign perspective i would definitely start with people full, like every character fully bought into some evil objective whatever it is that makes sense for your campaign whether they're you know cultists trying to bring about the end of the world or their um pawns in a uh, an oppressive dictator's regime who are trying to conquer a new land you know like whatever it is just make sure that everybody there is fully bought into like this is my primary objective
1: yeah and I would say that doesn't necessarily need to be the same primary objective for everybody right just everyone needs a a real actual tangible goal that they're pursuing and then you know uh, like you do in most games you sort of eventually like weave those together or you know I am a member of this cult. You are, are a member of this like hierarchical, tyrannical organization. But you know our our ends are, like are pretty closely aligned anyway. So like we're going to work together. Why wouldn't yeah. we? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because remember that evil people are the heroes of their own stories. They don't necessarily think of themselves as evil, right? They may think of themselves as practical, um, very pragmatic, or you know the ones who are just supposed to be in charge. Like this is what is this is what we're supposed to be doing you're not necessarily uh taking the perspective of i am going out to to hurt other people you know you have a you have an objective like a, a real useful objective that you know you may even think it will be good for the world mm-hmm.
0: in your own sort of twisted way yeah and and i think importantly is like evil people are just as passionate about those objectives As good people are right like they have the same desperation to succeed that other people like heroes do.
1: Yeah, they may even be like more passionate, right? Because they don't necessarily feel conflicted about the the means to by which they uh, try to achieve an end. Um, Mm. They actually may not often think like, ah, but am I doing the right thing? I'm just not I'm not really sure. Like, uh, what about the, the people who have to suffer like those eggs that need to be cracked to make this omelet? Evil
0: people for the most part are like, yeah, that's that's fine. Actually, that's kind of a bonus. Right, exactly. Um, the point being here is you meet in a tavern <laughs> and you're going to be caravan guards. Um, probably not a great starting point for an evil campaign. What if you meet in an evil tavern? Oh, an evil tavern. Ah. Oh, you're going to be um, weapons-grade plutonium shipment guards. <laughs> yeah. Dirty bomb guards. <laughs> this is a caravan of mass destruction. <laughs> I would, uh, I would look for something a little firmer than that. Yeah. Um, And then, so the other half of that, right, is discuss those limits to what, what does evil mean um, to your campaign up front? Yeah. Is this Gargamel evil or Hitler evil? Right. So uh, a good place to start is like, what actions are so evil that even all of our evil characters would stop you? Yeah. Uh, Do you get to fight each other?
1: You know, is is player versus player um, antagonism okay? Like
0: physical violence between party members? Yeah, what if it's just subtly undermining each other and not outright violence?
1: Yeah, and I think this is an important point to make sure that you bring up at the table because, you know, certain players may not actually care if another player stabs their character because, I mean, I'm a fighter and I've got a lot of HP or I feel confident in being able to defend myself, you know? Uh, but if you like ruin my plot point, <laughs> if, if if you like um, hurt my RP ability, um, that's going to be even more frustrating because like, you know, I can't, um, I can't res my objective, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't like pay 5,000 gold in a diamond and like, you know, uh, get back uh, like my station uh, within my cult, you know? It's, it doesn't work that way well i mean maybe
0: it does who knows I mean, culture weird it works that way in most cults doesn't it can't you buy uh, your way to the top
1: Five thousand gold pee and a diamond and the demon reinstates you i guess maybe that's fine
0: right i mean yeah and then just you know think about like what are the situations that come up that the moral quandaries that good players face um let's like kind of th- talk through those maybe a little bit before we get into this campaign so like you know a good a good party might not be cool with murdering an innocent guard uh, while they're robbing the vault of a bank you know for obviously for greater good purposes but they don't want to cause any collateral damage the evil party probably doesn't care so much about that but maybe there's a problem with them just bombing a school bus full of children
1: yeah when the good party does that i mean it has to be for like really great Real good, good purposes, reasons you know? yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah i think it's actually really important to get very specific like like this like give very specific scenarios are you okay for example if like you're robbing a bank and a guard tries to stop you who seems to just be doing their job is it do you feel okay killing the guard i mean if the answer is no then probably you don't want to play an evil game (laughs) yeah uh but a lot of people would have problems with um
0: like blowing up the kids right you know the, the wanton acts of evil the the unnecessary acts of evil i think are the kind of the questionable areas you want to make sure everybody's on the same page just so you don't have even within your evil campaign like tonal dissonance between how certain characters are playing and other characters are reacting
1: right and there might be a difference between like the um, level at which the atrocities are happening right like maybe you don't burn down an orphanage that you are standing in but you know the actions uh, that you take cause Uh, terrible destruction of uh, like across the world. Obviously people are going
0: to die, including children in that, but you know, it's abstracted enough. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, themes or kind of uh, points of consideration that come up a lot with evil campaigns.
1: Yeah, I think uh, probably one of the more common ways to get your party on board or maybe even to ease a group that usually plays good or neutral characters into an evil uh, game is to play evil versus a greater evil. You know, you yeah, you're the bad guys. That's fine. But you're not destroy the world bad guys, you know? Like maybe you're the mob. Um but like when Nazis invade America, the mob still wants to stop the Nazis, right? Um you know, it, it's a very convenient way for you to still be like kind of like a mean person, um, or or even like a terrible person, and yet be able to like bond with other characters who have, you know, disparate goals or disparate outlooks, but maybe share this one particular goal in the
0: moment. Yeah, I also like the idea of like as you are beginning to get a handle you know, like uh desperation makes for uh strange bedfellows, right? But as you begin to get a handle on the problem and you're approaching like the solution uh, that's when things get really hairy right because all of a sudden it becomes a game of like who's the bigger winner when we finally finish off this threat you know like we haven't gotten all the nazis off of our shores yet but we're getting very very close and it's very important to me that like the mob has more power than they they did when we started
1: Yeah, uh, the army is going to mop this up. Now is the time that I betray you. Exactly. Or like, now is the time that you really need to talk to me about
0: like (laughs) what I'm going to get out of this because otherwise I'm betraying you. It's it's time for that payoff. Uh, I think it's also important to think about who is going to stand opposed to the PCs. You kind of have two approaches. If you think of yourselves as playing like the BBEG uh, of a campaign, there's one way to do it. Um, The other way is to think of yourselves as like, you know, an evil adventuring party who is trying to rise above the ranks of various evil threats to become the biggest evil threat that maybe has a chance of succeeding. Um, So it's kind of like, uh, are you facing the Avengers? You know, is there like a powerful force for good that or if not good, at least law and order that you're trying to topple in pursuit of whatever your objective is you know do you need to like continue to amass more power so that you can overcome these gatekeepers that's one way to structure a campaign right is like and that's pretty much usually the good hero arc too is like there's a big evil out there that needs to be stopped so we got to get powered up in order to face them
1: i think it's actually kind of a fun inversion of the usual tropes because now you have the gm who's sort of playing the good guys and you know thinking of all like the noble things and like oh no i wouldn't go that far you know like uh that's beyond the pale i've got to make sure that i'm you know both being good and um kind right uh whereas the players can just be like all right um where are the, the bad guys and where can we cause like mass atrocities over here just to distract them? Right. <laughs> so that we can actually achieve
0: our true aims. Exactly. You got to play this little game of misdirection here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, unlike, uh, like, one thing that's different there between like an evil campaign and a good campaign is that the, the impetus um, of your opposition is, is totally different, right? Like, if a, if a good party does nothing, evil wins. Um, But it doesn't work the same way in reverse. So, like, the Avengers have to respond to the threats to stability, right? If they don't respond, then they lose by default. So, you can kind of force their hand much much easier by just creating those kind of distractions or secondary threats or red herrings that they have to pursue while you're quietly doing something else that's more useful.
1: Yeah, this kind of game can become much more player-driven, which can be a lot of fun, because... You know, all right, if you want the Avengers off your back, just hide in your lair or under the sea in your movable lab you or in space your submarine. <laughs> yeah, the phantom zone. You know, yeah. and just bide your time. Um you can even get in a situation where the whole party's like, "You know what? We're just going to lay low for like 6 months. and We're not going to do anything, you know. Um we want some downtime to like research terrible um weapons." And what are the good guys going to do? Well, they're going to go like be living their lives and like going to parties and like having friends, you know, <laughs> all that boring stuff that they do during their downtime.
0: I mean, you know that like 80% of the liches in the Marvel Cinematic Universe are pursuing immortality just so they can outlast the Avengers, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, Thor has a 5,000 year lifespan, which is
0: nothing. Right. <laughs> if If we just last until the year 10,000... Right. I could I could fight this guy. Uh
1: but you know, it's much easier just to nap right. and take a nap. Like I was fighting the dinosaurs. This guy's a blip. <laughs>
0: um so the flip side is uh it, it actually makes me think of like um Dungeon Crawl Classics, you know, the concept of the character funnel mm. um where you you roll up a bunch of zero level PCs and whoever survives becomes the party. Um, And as you continue to advance through your adventure, you're kind of whittling down the number of heroes that are even in the pool until you have, like, your last hero. The same way can work as the structure of your campaign when you have an evil party. Um, If you think of the party as the BBEG in all of these these lowly NPCs' campaigns... So your players are going to have to thwart all these heroes like many many parties of heroes which are naturally growing stronger to continue to to oppose them um, they, they have to keep selecting which ones are the biggest threat stomping them you know getting them out of the way and then eventually one of them will stand above the crowd and become their rival like their uh, big good hero group if you will
1: yeah i like this as like uh, an evil overlord game Right. Where you're just trying to like follow the evil overlord list rules and be like, all right, we've got a plucky farmer uh, in this town over here who like has delusions of grandeur. Oh, wait a minute. He has true love. No, we have to murder him immediately. (laughs) Cannot let him get to second level. (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah it's like you know you've got you've got a few plots in motion a a few little irons in the fire if you will you know like the goblin uprising uh in the the frontier then you've got you know your bandits that are working the forest and you've got um you know like some orcs that are uh doing their thing elsewhere and you're like i've got you know little bets i've placed all over the place uh okay now who's trying to stop me in each of these and like wait a minute true love over there no that guy's gotta die (laughs) Like, I don't care about my bandits. That's actually probably a losing proposition. <laughs> but that guy's found true love? No, I, ca- I can't have that working. That's like, that's the setup of a prophecy or something. Y-
1: yeah, plot points are on their side. That is no good. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got to murder every kid born on February 29th. It just feels a little too special. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, it it can also give your players like uh, an appreciation for like why villains seem to act dumb because you're just not getting their perspective right (laughs) like okay why didn't I show up myself and like destroy the hero before he was too powerful why did I just keep sending successively stronger lieutenants because I was sending lieutenants everywhere you know how many plucky heroes there are every week (laughs) exactly (laughs) I I killed 99% of them that's a pretty good track record right (laughs) exactly
0: (laughs) <laughs> the problem is you gotta be a th- you gotta bat a thousand as uh, a villain, uh, you know. Like otherwise, your scheme just gets screwed up. <laughs> I mean, do you know how many seventh sons of seven sons I've killed? <laughs> that's why I've been trying to lower the birth rate. My predecessors were terrible. Do you know how many seventh sons they allowed to live?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why I have provided free contraception, <laughs> exactly. sexual education. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <If> I, <laughs> I support hedonism. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Although I've been trying to make sure though that kids are still very expensive. All right, no universal pre-K. All right, we are six kid is the <laughs> limit. All right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the idea of like the uh, evil dictator who provides for like basic income and and basic food so that you don't have agrarian families having dozens of children so that there are no like. Fate-touched Seventh Sons. <laughs> and and uh, there's no reason to go adventuring
1: because, you know, things are pretty comfortable yeah, here. Yeah, things are fine. <laughs> what? You, just, what you, you know, it's Brave New World is a great way to keep a, a party from trying to overthrow you. Right. Stay, stay home, bright-eyed 16-year-old who wants to change the world. The world is just fine. Right. Uh, you want to be level one? Great. Make a wisdom-saving throw. <laughs> no? Okay. You die at home.
0: <laughs> <laughs> During childbirth. <laughs> Um. So then in terms of where you go uh, with your campaign, uh, I think a, a good theme or a good little plot twist to keep in the back of your mind uh, is the idea that you should be careful what you wish for. Uh, remember that achieving an evil objective may very well be the character's undoing um, so that you can end up getting like a third act out of your game um, by requiring your evil group of characters to now undo this terrible mistake that they've made.
1: Yeah, it turns out that um, murdering all of the kobolds was a bad idea. They were integral to the the environment. They were a
0: foundational species in the ecosystem. Yeah, they were keeping the rock grub population (laughs) in check. (laughs) Do you want rock grubs? Because this is how you get rock grubs.
1: I'm not a fire sorcerer. Damn it. (laughs) I went necrotic. (laughs) It's not helpful. I think there was um a series of like alter alternate universe comic books. I don't remember if it was Marvel or DC where um like powerful aliens or something had showed up and like killed all the superheroes. Like they'd won. They'd co- conquered the planet. The only people who were left to like fight the bad guys were supervillains. Okay. You're know, like the Joker <laughs> fighting the Batter guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um I guess it's sort of like a Suicide Squad scenario too or can be. Yeah. Um, where you're like forced to forced together, um. But you know, honestly, a lot of those people did achieve their objectives. They just eventually
0: later got caught or like got cocky. Hmm. No, that's actually mentioning Suicide Squad is good because I think uh, that's the first time I've ever heard anyone say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's an important like thing to keep in mind, uh, as both evil players and an evil GM, right? Like, evil characters care deeply about things. Uh, they are not like. All 100% antisocial, just murder hobos to the nth degree. Uh, even the Joker cares about Harley Quinn in a weird sort, sort of, of way. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not love, but it's not
1: nothing. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, there are a lot of evil characters who you know have one touchstone, right? One person that they'll actually like protect above all else. And actually, that's for a lot of these um, like tragic villains, it's the reason they became evil in the first place. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, even like Nolan's Batman, like the Joker cares about Batman more than anything. Right. (laughs) Right. Like Batman can't die. That would be terrible for the Joker. (laughs) Like Batman hasn't suffered enough to die.
1: (laughs) He also can't be exposed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think, you know, playing an evil character with depth is a lot more fun um, like, playing them in, as an actual, like, human. Someone who, like, feels um, and isn't necessarily just, like, some sort of, like, soulless psychopath who's just out trying to cause a lot of pain. I mean, that I, that can be fun in the short term. Uh, but long term, like, you want you want there to be risk that you could lose something um, or that you're not able to, like, retrieve something that you actually really care about. It could even be just, like, an object, right? And I don't mean, like, the fetishizing that liches do about their phylacteries. I mean, like, an actual real thing, maybe Mister Burns in a teddy bear.
0: <laughs> oh, like the um, what the sled in Citizen Kane? Yeah, exact, exactly. Right. Like, was it rosewood? Bud, rosebud, rosebud, whatever. But
1: maybe it's made of rosewood. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there are obviously a couple pitfalls that we should touch on, for sure. Evil alignments are used by less mature players to justify rather unsettling behavior, um, potentially in violation of the social contract. So. Uh It is very important to remember the x card and um you know just make sure that you 're setting those limits at your table and that players are comfortable with what 's going on
1: right uh for those of you who don 't know the x card is It's an agreement at the table that if any topic comes up or there's any sort of role play situation that someone at the table is uncomfortable with, uh, all they need to do is sort of like put a card with an X on the table or, you know, just put their sort of hand on the table and be like, uh, like to move on. Let's bring the veil down is what some people call it. And no questions asked. People just move on and we don't talk about that topic. But I mean, even more than that. uh, Yeah. You don't want to get in a situation where like someone is like very bothered by like rape, murder, or genocide, and then we sort of, like, bring the veil down and, and move on, because then it sort of still happened in the game, right? Like, that's a session zero topic that you want to talk about. Um, like, we've talked about before, like, I am not particularly interested, I'm not at all interested, actually, in, like, sexual assault at the table, and, like, having that be a topic that we talk about or, or comes up. So, you know, in any session zero where we're talking about an evil an evil game, I will volunteer and be like, I don't want to deal with that like I don't even want to talk about that with like half orcs etc you know like one orc one human loving relationship
0: that's how we got them <laughs> yeah I mean even if you don't get to that limit right um even if that those topics are um potentially okay at your table then keep in mind that that isn't necessarily true for every evil person in the world too right like your your character might still be unwilling to um cause genocide um even if it is somewhat in service of some grand objective.
1: Yeah, I love that moment uh, you get in a lot of fiction and you can really get in a game where you know you've got a person who you've just never seen the the like limits of their evilness until you suddenly like bump right up against it and
0: everyone's like, like "Wait, what?" <laughs> Until like, you suddenly play each other at a table. <laughs> 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 Until you all play a character who is another person sitting at the table. Huh, Ishan? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs>
1: you suddenly discover, like, someone's limit. Like, what is uh, one person's, like, uh, line they
0: will not cross. Right. You know? Um, and I think just as a another just general guideline is don't glorify depravity. Um, just because it's an evil campaign, um, those things can happen if if they're okay for your narrative, but that doesn't mean you need to devote a lot of spotlight or screen time to it. You can just narrate past it. Like this happens, and then here we are dealing with the fallout rather than having to like get into the blow by blow details of something like truly despicable.
1: Yeah, like, evil characters might be fine with torturing someone for information. You don't need to go very deep into, like, what it sounds like or looks like or smells like.
0: Right. Yeah, read your table on that stuff. Uh, The topics can be in the game but not have to be directly confronted by the players themselves.
1: Okay, so, Shane, um, we're kind of sort of playing an evil game right now, right? I would argue we're very much playing an evil game right now. Okay. So we're talking about our Dark Sun game that Angelo is running right now. Um, I don't know. I feel like we started off neutral and then we just got very pragmatic. Uh, And also there was that one session where Susie and I were not there and you were kind of in charge and then you uh, poisoned 10,000 people. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) What, What makes you think that I was in charge of that?
0: Just because I because, had the idea. Yes, and because it happened. Because <laughs> I'm because I I'm capable of conceptualizing such an idea. It doesn't put me in charge of it. Because, there, were, there were four other people in our party who agreed to do it.
1: Perhaps under duress. I don't know. I wasn't there.
0: <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about the setup of our Dark Sun campaign. Because I think we've talked about it a little bit in the past. But um, it, it is actually like a... I think we spent a lot of time structuring our campaign so that we could be evil but still make sure that we were able to tell like a cool story um that wasn't going to just devolve into infighting and and kind of like uh pointless acts of random violence
1: yeah and i think this is very much uh, a version of an evil campaign where we don't necessarily have evil objectives actually i think our, our objectives are like pretty good you know we're fighting people who are more evil um And, you know, we're not trying to set up like a tyrannical world government or whatever. Uh, It's more amoral. You know, it's a society where like living is difficult and you just have to be willing to do things in order to survive. And I think that's the kind of game we were looking for. um, Sort of after like the the general heroism of the Morning Glory campaign and the sort of like reckless abandon of Rogue Trader. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're members of a mercenary company who only really have two rules, which is, don't defile, which is like a type of uh, magic use that destroys uh, the environment and makes it so that nothing can live. Uh, and honor whatever contract that you sign. I mean, we might take contracts for
0: anything. We might take contracts for assassination. Oh, yeah. Assassination. Um, <laughs> genocide, actually, was a contract we took. <laughs> Wait, who, uh, which, uh, which species? Uh, they were mostly humans in tier. But that was all part of our contract oh i we see had to, i see yeah we so, weren't trying to wipe out an entire species
1: necessarily we just killed a bunch of people
0: yeah, well yeah to yeah. prevent them from like it was to control a disease <laughs> <laughs> like i'm not saying it was a it was a greater good action <laughs> right it I'm was just saying it was, it was it was evil with a purpose <laughs> right
1: purge potential carriers yeah that was right. not it was not
0: very yeah. nice <laughs> uh but yeah so the, the general idea is that like some of our par- some of our characters are members of the company and others are um, just sort of affiliated with it on the periphery either by convenience or necessity um, but our rule is that anybody uh, who is willing to swear the oath to the company is immediately accepted and uh, we no longer question their past um, but the flip side is we will hunt any oathbreaker to the ends of Athos to ensure that our good name is retained our quote unquote good name our, our good bad name our,
1: effective name right (laughs) our brand we're preserving our brand (laughs) right um yeah it's a sort of our version of the uh, everybody gets one right like yeah yeah you
0: swear the oath great we trust you trust you fully and completely that's fine do not screw us (laughs) yeah exactly like um but kind of through reputation uh, nobody would take the oath who didn't intend to keep it
1: all right so i think we mentioned this once before bright eyes are like a former defiler who joined the company so that we wouldn't care about her former defiling a former Templar. Oh yeah. Um, killed like an eight year old. Yep. Yeah. That wasn't, that was intense. That wasn't like planned or anything like that was just presented and Steph made a, an in character decision, which like was very pragmatic. I mean, the, the kid was essentially like a, a defiler in training well or defiler
0: without training yeah which is maybe worse <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so the the child had accidentally presumably accidentally defiled uh and it came into like a pretty like harsh enforcement right like the rules are don't defile we saw it that wasn't somebody that we had a contractual obligation to so bright eyes dealt with it
1: yeah um i guess in 40k parlance it would be like we found an unsanctioned psyker child right and so like what do you do you you put down the psyker uh you hide them in the cargo hold with the orcs oh great that's a different game with different <laughs> consequences <laughs> uh but yeah so give, give, give us the background like how did it lead up to us intentionally poison murdering
0: ten thousand people uh so in dark sun there's a disease called the wasting sickness um which basically creates zombies is it a Dark Sun thing or is it an Angelo's Dark Sun thing? Well, it's in our Dark Sun. I don't know. I didn't read the book. Great. <laughs> <laughs> good, good enough. Anyway, there's a terrible zombie disease. It's a zombie disease, basically. It's almost more like a curse. In the city of Tier, it was like ravaging the poorest sections of the city. And um, there just weren't enough resources to fight the disease. And it would have continued to spread and, and probably killed most of the city. So... As being the pragmatic solution that we found, uh, we went into one of those districts where it was highly concentrated, and we just handed out free poisoned water, uh, ostensibly in celebration of King Kalik, one of the sorcerer kings, who we would then later murder.
1: <laughs> but that was a good thing to do. Well, yeah, that one was actually good.
0: <laughs> but yeah, um, as basically a gift from Kalik, we um, pitched the plan and executed the plan to basically kill off uh, an entire group of citizens in order to ensure that they couldn't become carriers of the Wasting Sickness.
1: Yeah, we've now blamed that on a different Sorcerer King.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> we're certainly not going to admit it. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> we know it's bad, so we're going to lie about it. Like bad people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I. Yeah, I would
1: say that, like, you know, the difference between a party that is uh, just extremely pragmatic or maybe, like, lawful neutral is that, like, we don't feel bad about this at all. I mean, maybe... Maybe Susie's character feels a little bad about it, mm-hmm. but the rest of us were like, "Oh, probably wouldn't have done that," but we have done it, and so now, like, that's that's part of the company's like history and experience, and so it is what it is. Right? Uh, will we do it again? I mean, if pressed to, then yeah, we'll do it again.
0: Yeah, exactly. It all worked out in the end. We think we're not quite at the end yet, <laughs> yeah, as far yeah. as we know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> And who
1: knows, Like by the end of this, we are on a mission to like kill off most of the Sorcerer Kings, and then there will be a power vacuum. It sure would be a shame if that vacuum went unfilled. I agree. You know, I'm a druid, and nature abhors a vacuum, so right. <laughs> I must do what I can to fill it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you hear that,
0: Ishan? That is the vacuum switching on, full suction. All right, well... <laughs> If you're getting sucked into the vacuum, then we're going to need to replace you in the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N dangerous.
1: And you can tweet at Ishan at Evils Ends That's Malice minus
0: Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. Total Party Thrill is also sponsored this week by Genuine Fantasy Press, who are giving away a free version of their new book, The Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening, at www.genuinefantasypress.com.
1: It's a book for 5th edition D&D, and all the player content is included in the free version, that is 125 pages of free content. Uh, it's pretty warlock-focused, the book, right? Uh, they they could have called it The
0: Patron Awakens, maybe?
1: Yeah, it's... Uh... The Force Damage Awakens. Hey, there we go.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's got 34 new subclasses, uh, 17 warlock patrons and familiars, 175 new spells and invocations, uh, 10 new races, which are not just for warlocks, of course, and dozens of campaign hooks. So there's 190 pages of content, 125 of which are free... It is designed to work with both classic and homebrew settings and gives you new ideas for your world and your game. And it is full of beautiful full-color artwork. It's available internationally in hardcover on Amazon.
1: And it makes a great holiday gift. Uh, You could uh, maybe get a dice tower
0: as well. Uh, So check out the Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening from Genuine Fantasy Press. Inspiring adventure. So this week in the character creation forge, we sort of kind of are building a replacement for my
1: character in Dark Sun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the Blighter. Okay. Uh, Those of you who played 3.5 and had a soft spot for not very good classes may remember that the Blighter was a 3.5 prestige class for evil druids. And every day you gained power by killing a bunch of plant life. (laughs) (laughs) And if you couldn't kill a bunch of plant life, you couldn't cast spells that day. Oh, that's a that's a. Great concept. Yeah. Also, it sucked because if you were like in a desert or uh, on the ocean, there was no plant life for you to kill, so you couldn't cast spells that day. Hold on. There's a lot of plant life in the ocean.
0: Yeah. I don't think algae counted, though. Oh. Okay. Yeah, right? That's Ridiculous. A, that's an oddly specific biological distinction that they've made in that source book.
1: Yeah. What if you used plant growth on the wood
0: of the ship, <laughs> and, and then they grew into trees, and then you killed those trees? Brilliant. <laughs> So I think one of the main reasons we're considering the Blighter, uh, not for its historical efficacy, but more as an opportunity to try out the Spore Druid in the Character Creation Forge. Even though we don't like it. We
1: reviewed it not well, Uh, but here is an attempt to sort of make
0: a go of it. Hold on. We reviewed it well. It's not very good. That's not the same thing. All right. Fair. It is not very good.
1: But it's fine in this build. Yeah. So how do we make this work? What's the build? This is Circle of Spores Druid 15, Gloomstalker Ranger 5. So from Druid, we're going to get up to 8th level spells, which is pretty nice. Uh, You'll get your Wild Shape, which includes flying and swimming uh, creatures. It actually has pretty decent circle spells. You get Blight, which is, you know, your namesake. Contagion, which is thematic because I think the old Blighter used to be able to, like, cast Contagion um, over, like, a large area. You get cloud kill, which is great because I think you end up with some uh, poison immunity. And you're the only druid that actually gets access to the animate dead spell, which is like, it makes sense because the spore druid is supposed to be what Golgari from Ravnica. Like the yeah. the druids who like also like, you know, zombies and, and they... um they're focused on renewal right like things die and that's fine and then you sort of like recycle them into new life and like on the way maybe they make a stop at undeath for a little while
0: yeah this uh these zombies are not going to be like uh your night of the living dead zombies they're going to be more like your last of us zombies like very um uh fungus themed zombies yeah yeah Um, so
1: you get your halo spores, which uh, lets you as a reaction deal damage to a nearby creature. And then you also get symbiotic entity, which lets you use uh, one of your wild shapes to gain temp HP equal to four times your druid level, which is, you know, at higher levels, a, a decent amount at lower levels, not particularly good. It also gives you some extra damage, some extra poison damage in melee. So you have this situation where it's sort of forcing you into melee combat because otherwise what are you doing with all this temp HP and like extra melee damage? But it's not very good at being in melee. Like we talked about this in the Ravnica review. Like these temp HP only last until uh, they're gone, right? And once the temp HP are gone, you lose the additional poison damage and you, you lose like additional damage to your Halo spores. So like... It's like uh, it's like you n- never use it to begin with, except you're down a wild shape. Right. Uh, also, it's an action to activate, but it only lasts for maximum of 10 minutes, which means so your wild shapes uh, recharge on a short rest. So You get two of them per hour maximum, right? Um, what that means is because it takes an action to activate, you're either wasting your first turn in combat to activate it or... You sort of have to guess when to turn it on when you 're sort of wandering around and adventuring so that like in case you get ambushed or or there's a fight you know, which really sucks because it means you can have it up for a maximum of twenty minutes. If you're like still getting short rests for every hour that you walk around, it's still like a one in three chance that this thing actually is up before combat starts.
0: Yeah. I like Like, the idea that you would just walk for an hour and then rest for an hour and then walk for an hour and (laughs) then rest for an hour and just hope that that hour, you know, the D6 landed the way you needed it to. So you got attacked in that 20 minute window.
1: (laughs) It's just, it's, it's really bad. So
0: you can't rely on it. So this build doesn't rely on it. If you get it, great. Okay, so what else do we get from Spore Druid? We get uh, Fungal Infestation, which lets you auto-animate a corpse uh, for an hour.
1: Yeah, note that this is not this is not specifically animate dead, so it's like not subject to the same restrictions. It just auto-animates immediately and lasts for an hour. At level 14, you can't be blinded, deafened, frightened, or poisoned, and you're immune to critical hits, uh, which is kind of wonderful, I guess. Uh, the immunity to poison is nice, actually, just because of the cloud kill. I like to be able to drop a cloud kill on myself. So then from Ranger, we'll pick up uh, Favorite Enemy Plants. Yeah, I think and... this is the first
0: time we've ever ever suggested Favorite Enemy Plants. Right. <laughs> uh, then Natural Explorer uh, will take Swamp as our terrain. Uh, you'll get a Fighting Style, which is uh, probably Dueling, and then uh, you'll get an extra attack as well at 5th level. Um, as Gloomstalker, you'll get Dark Vision, and you'll also be able to... Like be invisible to enemy dark vision as well as adding your wisdom modifier to your initiative role and getting an additional attack on the first round of combat
1: so yeah ranger adds a lot of melee prowess um that you combine with your spells to actually be kind of like a, a melee druid so you're gonna have shillelagh up all the time so it's a bonus action and it lasts for a minute without concentration so remember bonus action is like It's like a nothing action, right? Like you don't have to stop and do anything. You basically don't have to think about doing it. So like if you're wandering through a dungeon, yeah, every minute you just like refresh your shillelagh. There's no reason not to do that. Uh, When you are smacking people in the face with your quarterstaff, you've got plenty of healing uh, if those temp HP run out, which they probably will at some point. You've got healing word, cure wounds, and you've got the very nearly broken healing spirit for a bunch of um, healing uh, once combat is actually over. You'll get Hunter's Mark. Uh, You've got access to hold person, which is nice because if you can hold a bunch of different people, then there's an excellent chance that at least one of them is still going to be paralyzed when your turn comes back up. So you can uh, extra tech um,
0: and get automatic crits uh, because they're paralyzed. Yep. You'll also get the Blight spell. And uh, one that I don't think we've really talked about in the Character Creation Forge before, but Anti-Life Shell as well yeah it's really thematic but it's also nice because
1: you can just stand there surrounded by your zombies uh, and they just sort of pepper people with spells and like if if they don't have range attacks they like the enemies really have a lot of trouble actually getting to you mm-hmm. like, they can't really get you with reach weapons either um, and yeah and blight is a nice like single target high damage spell which
0: we'll get to in a little bit then as a druid of course you'll get all of the natural disaster spells uh, tsunami, earthquake, whirlwind, those types. Yeah, and you know, you're a blighter, right? <laughs> what am I here to do? Mar the surface of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh,
1: and then you also get p- passed without trace, which actually means you're very, very sneaky. You're a gloom stalker. You can see things people can't see you. You're going to have pretty astronomical uh, stealth rolls. So the thing we're actually going here for here is... A feat combination, so you're probably going to be human and start with Warcaster, and then as soon as you can, pick up polar Master. And when you put those together, it means that when you're using your quarterstaff, when when an enemy moves within five feet of you, it triggers an opportunity attack. Instead of making a regular attack, you can cast a spell with your opportunity attack, including things like Blight, or I don't know, Polymorph, or Hold Person. Uh, if you want to be a high elf, I guess you could use a, one of the uh, cantrips from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guy. Those are all excellent options for your
0: opportunity attack. Yeah, those are uh, like Booming Blade and uh, Green Flame Blade.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you'll end up with like three to four attacks per round plus uh, a an ability to cast a spell on your opportunity attack. So it's sort of like, you know, either... Uh, blight, and then a bonus action attack from polar Master, and then if they trigger an opportunity attack, you can blight again, or you can just, you know, hit him three times, and then blight or polymorph uh, on an opportunity attack. Or, you know, just, I guess, hold person them
0: so everyone else can beat them down. Why not? Right. <laughs> it stops movement. You don't need sentinel. So, in terms of leveling order, we'll start with druid, then take a level of ranger, um, get your druid up to six, your ranger uh, to five, and then finished Druid after that. So, Ishin, who is your blighter?
1: So my blighter subscribes to the old adage, know your enemy. Uh-huh. Plants? <laughs> yes. When she was young, her family, perhaps her entire village, was destroyed in a natural disaster. A terrible earthquake, a horrible tsunami, a great whirlwind that touched down out of nowhere. Nature took her family. And she realized that all she wanted to do was get back at nature, but how do you fight you know Gaia, Mother Earth? It's very difficult uh and in fact, she couldn't really think of a way to do that, so she at least figured she would get to know it better to study it, to figure out a way that she could kill plants and and like hurt um hurt the air itself, so you know she became a druid um while surviving on her own because she, you know, has no family now, she became an excellent hunter. Uh, that's where these uh, ranger abilities come, hunter and trapper. Uh, and as she became more powerful in the in the wisdom of nature, became steeped in it, she realized that, you know, nature isn't always um, not just nice. It isn't always nurturing. It doesn't always uh, grow. Sometimes it kills and destroys. There are fungus out there. There are lichen. There are... Um, horrible diseases and, and germs that uh, kill anything they come into contact with. Uh, and, you know, these would be her new weapons, her new things that, to take out her vengeance, to both use nature to inflict the same pain that she felt, and
0: to ruin nature as well. Interesting. Uh, so, I also had the revenge angle in mind.
1: <laughs> oh, interesting. Yes, tell us. Uh,
0: but my my blighter is not taking revenge on nature itself. Uh, it's far more personal for my blighter. So my blighter's family were uh, farmers, you know, working land and um, had some bad luck for a few harvests. You know, were, were um about to lose their farm and that sort of thing when they enlisted the help of a local druid uh, in order to, you know, turn their fortunes around, you know, bless them with the some of nature's bounty. Uh, and the druid failed um, for one reason or another. Perhaps uh, incompetence, perhaps malfeasance, um, perhaps just not the will of the gods. But that druid failed and um, my blighter's family was put in prison where they died as debtors. And now my blighter is out to not only um, find that druid, but also undo all of that druid's work and uh, blight the earth so that the druid who wronged his family will see all of the the land that he cares about destroyed.
1: Could it be that your blighter is, at least for a while, doing this in secret, so it just seems like everything this druid touches goes to ruin? That perhaps this druid is the one causing uh, you know the
0: sicknesses or for all the, the forests to die? It totally could be, and it also totally could just be the twist that there's a second druid doing that. <laughs> and i uh my character has been like gaslit his entire life <laughs> into becoming a blighter <laughs> i was focused on the wrong
1: druid right <laughs> there were two <laughs> druids the whole time you only can find this out though through some
0: sort of note uh, after he's finally achieved his vengeance exactly <laughs> it was all meaningless <laughs> All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah,
1: your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash Thrill. You can also help us out by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. If you do that, we will read it on the air, just like this one. This is Great Discussion for RPGers by Jesse Madcap. I really love the subject matter, especially as a veteran DM slash GM of 30 plus years experience. This has brought some much needed food for thought in my planning and campaign design. Thanks, Jesse.
0: Yeah, thank you, Jesse. So Ishan, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about dueling. And in a character creation forge. We're building the second. Well, that's it for episode 177 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan.